You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I don't know uh, about you, but as I watch the news and listen to what is going on in the world, and I think back over my lifetime and try and put myself, you know, when I was... uh, a young man, could I ever imagine that the world would get to the stage that it's at at the present time? Could I ever imagine a time when, when people would have the arrogance to redefine marriage, for example, that people would call that which the Bible calls evil, that people would call that good, and what the Bible calls good people would call evil. I could never imagine. And, and even when I go back to my youth, and I remember the 1967 Abortion Act coming into Westminster, and how it was only to be used in the direst circumstances and under the most controlled situation. To now, to now what is being imposed or is about to be imposed upon us Abortion up to four weeks before birth. Appalling. You couldn't make it up. And you think, well, how do we deal with this? I remember a few years ago, um, a preacher that I greatly admire, John MacArthur, being asked this question. Uh, in the United States, there was the whole uh, problem of abortion in the United States, and Christians were up in arms about it. And, and this, was, this was becoming the focus of the Christian church about, about the sin of abortion. And, and John MacArthur was asked about it, you know, what, what should we do about it? And, and he said something, and I thought, this is so true, so simple and so true. He says, abortion isn't the problem. Same-sex marriage isn't the problem. There's symptoms of the problem. The problem is sin. All these other things come from that problem. It comes from man's rebellion against God, man saying to God, I know better than you, God. I'll go my own way. And this is where it leads. And let me tell you, worse is to come. Because unless the Lord intervenes and sends us a revival, man will go from worse to worse to worse. So I thought to myself, well, as preachers, then the thing that we should be concentrating on is not the symptoms, the individual sins that are many and varied, and and sins that aren't seen, you know, like pride, selfishness, greed. What we need to concentrate on is the source of the sin, or the source of those, those problems, which is sin. And what is the cure for sin? Well, it maybe sounds too simple to say this, but the cure for sin is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came into the world, to deal with the problem of sin. And, and that's why I, I settled on this passage that, that I want to look at with you. 
And there's a text from the passage there in Matthew 27. I'm sure it'll jump out at you. Verse 22, where Pilate asks, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? They all answered, crucify him. Crucify him. Now, there'll be many times in life when the verdict of man doesn't mean very much. Uh, Just think of last weekend, Eurovision Song Contest. Thankfully, I didn't see I didn't see any of the songs. I, I did turn over during the the voting, which I, I found really interesting watching the voting, and and uh, you know I'm sure it was very important to a country like Ukraine to win it, and it was very important to the UK to actually come runners up. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was. But in the great scheme of things, it doesn't really matter the verdict of man and what was the best song or not. It had no eternal significance whatsoever. But the question that is before us here today has eternal significance. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Now, think about it. How is it that a man whose life was characterized only by doing good? Now, there's not another man in human history that that could be said about. There's not another person that has ever been born that you could say the only thing you could say about them is the only thing that they did was good. Only can that be said about Jesus. And yet, how could they end up condemning such a man to death? He was a man who healed the sick. They all knew that. Here's a man who who interacted with lepers. You know, when the leper came, they they rang a bell and, and shouted, unclean, unclean, so people would, would give them, you know, it's a bit like, have you ever noticed, have you ever been in a confined space recently and heard somebody cough? You know what it's like? You, you kind of move away from them. But, but Jesus interacted with these lepers. He touched them. He healed them. And, and people knew that. There were people that they knew, and, and their lives were completely changed by that. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes. But in the process of doing that, of course, he made enemies. He made enemies because he claimed to be equal with God. And he did things that only God could do. Do you remember, you remember the, the, the healing of, of the man that they dropped through the roof? You remember the first thing he said to him, son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Remember what the religious establishment said about that? Only God can forgive sins. And they were absolutely right. Only God could forgive sins. Jesus was claiming to be God. And and so he did things like that. He forgave people their sin. And, And in the process, he created a large following which stirred up anger and jealousy among the religious leaders of his day. And eventually, of course, he was arrested and tried several times before being sentenced to death. And each judge knew what the right verdict for Jesus was, and still, still they condemned him. They made a decision that they knew in their heart of hearts was wrong. Folks, I want to suggest to you today that it is vitally, vitally important to make the right evaluation of Christ and act accordingly toward him and our fellow man. 
So let's, let's examine some of those characters who were involved in Christ's crucifixion. And it may be, in fact, that we end up looking at ourselves. First of all, there was Caiaphas, the high priest, and he wouldn't leave his religion. Caiaphas was a distinguished high priest, and so it was before him that Jesus was brought very early after his arrest. False accusations were made about Jesus. He was spat on, he was beaten, he was mocked. The Jews, or the, Jesus was accused of blasphemy, and yet the religious leaders were still, a, were so aware that he had performed these miracles. They knew the people that he had interacted with. They, they saw, they knew that this was God come to earth in the flesh. Caiaphas sat in Moses' seat of honor. He enjoyed all the religious ceremony and all the regalia and trappings that went with that. He, he reveled in that. And the thought of all this being overturned and replaced by this, this person, Jesus Christ, was more than he could bear. An irate Caiaphas challenged Christ in Matthew 26. Turn back with me to Matthew 26, verses 63 and 64. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, there is the most straightforward question that Jesus ever was asked. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, you get the most straightforward answer. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? Yes, it is as you say. And at that answer... At that reply, Caiaphas nearly lost his reason. He just could not take it in. You see, folks, it is possible, is it not, to have religion without substance. It's possible to be religious without having a relationship with God and his righteousness. It's possible to be a devout churchgoer it's possible to be an ardent Protestant and not know him of whom to know is life eternal. And here's a simple question for you, a simple question. Are you like that? Nothing difficult about that question. Are you like that? Do you really know and want him in your life? Or are you adhering only to man-made religious system? Your verdict on the person of Christ is of infinitely more consequence than your dedication to a formal show of worship. Jesus said, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, you ever notice whenever a personality, we'll put it like that, a personality dies, 
a celebrity dies. And they talk to people that knew him, or they talk to their kith and kin, and they always seem to refer, oh, he's up there looking down on us. Did you ever notice that? Everybody's up there looking down. Up where? Who with? You mean in a God that you don't believe in? In a place that you don't believe exists? Do you see what I'm saying? They, they, they pick and choose what they want out of the Bible. Heaven. Oh, yeah, heaven. Hell, let's forget about that. Savior, let's forget about that. I, he, I, he, the things he did that were good were, were better than the, the bad things that he did. He wasn't a bad person. Not like that. Jesus said, listen again, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And that applies even to the most religious person. Beware, men and women, of a Christless religion. Paul wrote, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Peter preached, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by whom we must be saved. Jesus again. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let me ask you again. Have you got religion? Or have you got Christ? Caiaphas wouldn't leave his religion. And Pilate, he wouldn't leave his neutrality. Now, the Jewish leaders weren't allowed to sentence anyone to death. That had to pass to the governor. And so they, they uh, bring Jesus to Pilate because he had the ability to pass the death sentence. Now, Pilate knew, Pilate knew that Christ was innocent. He knew it. He says, I find no fault with him. What crime has he done? But he refused to leave his neutral position. Now, let me fill you in a wee bit on the political background here. Pilate recently had made a few gaffes. You know, you know what it's like in, in the government here when a minister of state makes a few mistakes? Well, he's sacked, unless you're the prime minister, of course, and then you do whatever you like. But, but Pilate had been guilty of a few gaffes, and, and he was becoming a liability. He had offended the Jews by setting up images of the emperor in Jerusalem, and that had led to confrontation and to the death of many Jews. And as a weak man, he now wants desperately to pacify the Jews, even if that means going against his principles of justice. In Pilate's view, Christ is not guilty of any crime. And that's why he picks this man, Barabbas, a notorious criminal. Do you notice it says that? A a man of some notoriety. He tried to pick the worst offender he could think of, thinking that obviously they'll, they'll release Jesus and condemn Barabbas. Pilate cross-examined Jesus twice, and he found no fault in him. 
Even Pilate's wife warns him. Verse 19, you see it there. She had been troubled with a dream about him. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. And so he tries to wriggle out of the dilemma (coughs) by offering freedom to Jesus or Barabbas. The crowd, under the instigation of the religious leaders, chose Barabbas. And Pilate literally and figuratively washed his hands of the whole thing. This spineless weakling tried to juggle to please the the crowds, the religious authorities, his wife, Rome, his own limited conscience. You see, had he listened to Jesus, he would have discovered that it is impossible to please both God and man. In other words, it is impossible to be neutral. It is impossible to sit on the fence. We are either for Christ or we are against him. There is no middle ground. What about you today? Are you trying to sit on the fence? Are you trying to be neutral? This text, this question in verse 22, it demands a verdict. What will you do with him? Are you trying to please the crowd that you run around with or God? You know, so often it's like the Bible says, the fear of man makes a snare. We're so afraid of what other people think. Caiaphas wouldn't leave his religion. Pilate wouldn't leave his neutrality. And Herod wouldn't leave his sin. After his first interrogation, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. You can read about it in Luke 23. It it would have been amazing if Jesus had received a fair trial there. Herod Antipas came from a family renowned for its evil. His father, Herod the Great, you remember, had ordered the murder of all the boys under the age of two at the time of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. He himself, Herod Antipas, had accused, uh, uh, had been accused of immorality by John the Baptist. Do you remember uh, he had John the Baptist in jail and he would bring him out and get John to preach to him? And John was absolutely fearless as, as Herod sat there with his brother's wife. And Herod pointed at him and and he said, it is unlawful for you to have her. I mean, how fearless was that? Here's a man that that held his life in his hands and he accuses him of breaking God's law and being guilty before God. And of course, it it was Herod who was responsible ultimately for John's death. And so Herod when he, he gets, he has been hearing about Jesus and the amazing things that he has done. And, and he would like Jesus to put on a wee performance for him. And, and he's, he's really looking forward eagerly to, to meeting Jesus and, and seeing him perform some great wonder. And what do we discover? On that occasion, Jesus treats him with absolute contempt. He didn't utter a single word to him. Not a single word. You know, sometimes silence can be far, far more powerful than a condemnation. 
let me take you back to my school days again. I was speaking to the children about my school days, that wee school in Drummondoon. And then I went to the big school in Ballymena. And uh, I was not a scholar. I did not like school, and that was reflected in my annual report. My mother died when I was 11, and so it was my grandparents that brought us up. There were three of us. <clears throat> and I remember I dreaded that report coming in because I adored my grandparents, and especially my grandfather. Absolutely loved him to bits. And I remember he would get, and I, remember, I, I, knew, the, I knew the envelope. It was a brown envelope. And I knew the shape of it. I knew this was the report. And he would open it, and he would read it, and I could see, I could see the disappointment in his face. And he never said a word to me. Boy, that hurt. I wish, I wish he'd given off to because I deserved to have a good telling off. But he didn't. And I tell you, that broke me. That absolutely broke me. You know, men and women, the silence of God can be as awesome as his voice, can be just as powerful as his voice. Imagine being in the position where God has absolutely nothing left to say to you. Here you are, member of Union Road, for years, maybe for decades, you've sat for years under the sound of God's word. And God, the Holy Spirit, has striven with you over the years and challenged you again and again and again, and you've ignored that challenge again and again and again. But listen, the word of God says that, that God's spirit will not always strive with man. There'll be a day come if you do not repent There'll be a day come when God has nothing more to say to you. Nothing. And when that day comes, you have crossed over from God's patience to God's judgment. Imagine being in the position where God has nothing to say to you. Have you ever considered that atheists and skeptics are basically dishonest people? Romans 1 makes it clear that the real cause of unbelief is not that people don't understand. And, and, and that's the same for you if you're not a Christian. It's not that you don't understand. You are simply unwilling to leave your sinful life and your selfish living. You're refusing to do that. You're unwilling. It's not that you can't believe. It's just that you will not. You see, those who trust Christ must be willing to leave and renounce sin as they come to the Savior of sinners. You cannot have your sin and salvation. You can't. If you want salvation, you've got to let go of your sin. Caiaphas wouldn't leave his religion. Pilate wouldn't leave his neutrality. Herod wouldn't leave his sin. 
And the last thing, individuals wouldn't leave the crowd. How is it that there wasn't one person to speak up for Jesus that day in the crowd? When Pilate asked the question of the crowd, I'm sure within that crowd there were even some who benefited to some degree from Jesus' ministry. There's bound to have been some that were part of the 5,000 or the 4,000 men plus children and, and women. There's bound to have been some. And yet everyone cried, crucify him. Not one prepared to go against the mainstream. It seems all of humanity was represented that tragic day in wrongly judging Jesus. Caiaphas was a Jew, Pilate a Roman, Herod an Edomite, and the crowd were both Jew and Gentile. But today, today as this question comes, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ? Today the verdict is yours. Imagine yourself in that crowd, standing with all these people. And you're asked this question, what shall we do with Jesus? Will you merely give the age-old answer, away with him? I don't want this man to rule over me. You see, you are part of that jury. But this time it's your own future that's at stake. The verdict is yours. What will you do with Jesus? Because, you see, you are going to do something today. If you're not a Christian, you're going to do something. You might say to me, ah, well, I'm not going to do anything. It's wrong. You are going to do something. You're either going to walk out that door the way you come in. What you're saying is away with him. I don't want this man to rule over me. Or today, today maybe the Spirit of God is striving with you once again. And today you're going to bow the knee. And ask him to save you. And ask him to cleanse you. And ask him to make you a new creature. You know, whether you need, whether you know this or not, you need Jesus Christ. You need him. You need him in life. Because as I said at the beginning, our greatest problem, the greatest problem in the whole world, the greatest problem for the world is the problem of sin. It pulls us down. And you need Christ to deliver you from past sin, from present temptation and evil enticements in the future. You need to be delivered from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. So you need Jesus Christ in life. Because only he can do that. But you also need him in death. How can you face even the prospect of death without him? Never mind the reality of death. As the Lord Jesus Christ hung on that cross, all the sins of his people were put on him. He bore those sins in his own body on the tree so that if we repent and believe, he will grant us his abiding presence in life and in death so that as we valley through the as we journey through the valley of the shadow we need not fear we need the lord jesus in in life we need him in death and we need him in eternity jesus not only died he rose again there is life after death and both heaven and hell are taught in the bible and so it's so important to have a place reserved in heaven 
for you. And you can do that. You can have a place reserved in heaven with your name on it. If only you will bow the knee and trust him. Eternity depends on what you will do with Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, will you acknowledge him as your master, as your savior? What will you do with Jesus Christ? Because see, here's the thing. One day, in the not too distant future, perhaps sooner than you think, one day, you will be wondering, what will he do with me? Will he say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say, depart from me? I never knew you. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked? They all answered. They all answered. Crucify him. What about you? What will you do today? Because you're going to do something. You'll either accept him or you will reject him. You cannot be neutral. Let's pray. 